I always find it curious, both at Christmas and at Easter, that um, so many people who don't usually come to church want to come to church, and they want to worship, and they want to celebrate. And the reason I find it interesting is because I'm trying to figure out, you know, what are they celebrating? Um, I know what the Bible says that we, that Christmas and Easter are, that what we're celebrating, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. We're celebrating at Christmas the, the Son of God who would take on human flesh and do this thing that's this miraculous thing that, that has never been done before, will never be done again, and would come and be born and become the Savior of the world. And I understand what's happening at... Um, at Easter, what the Bible teaches about Easter, about this event, this resurrection, that something again, that the, the, the Son of God, this, this baby born 30 years earlier, is now being crucified, killed as a criminal. And even though he committed no crime, and from a worldly sense, he's a criminal, but from God's view, he is a sacrifice. He is paying the penalty for our sin. But then you have this resurrection. This resurrection, this, this not just central event in Christianity, but it's this, it's this essential event in Christianity. You cannot have true Christianity without resurrection, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Understand what I'm saying. Understand that some people say like, oh yes, uh, I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus' disciples loved him so much and followed him so much that they resurrected his ideas. They, they resurrected him in memory of him. And in many ways, they lived out the things he told them to do. So I believe in resurrection. That's not the kind of resurrection that I'm talking about. That's not the kind of resurrection that the Bible talks about. The Bible tells us that the resurrection, the resurrection happened in this world. It was full. It was complete. Other religions had beliefs in resurrection, but it was always resurrection to some other kind of spirit world or not a really physical resurrection. But Christianity was different. Christianity said, no, this resurrection, this resurrection took place in history. And Jesus didn't just come back from the dead and disappear. He hung out for a while. He talked to people, traveled around. He made breakfast. He did all kinds of things. And that's what, that's what we're celebrating. And I, and I wonder, again, why people come, especially in our world today, I don't know if, you know, how many people realize this, and usually, like, when we have Easter services, we don't, we, you know, we want to talk about the happy things in this world, and we are going to talk about the happy things eventually. But before we can talk about the good news, the power of the resurrection, I think we need to look at our world today. And most of us kind of live kind of at just this level of just kind of existing. You know, we, we want to get by, we have our jobs, we have our families, you know, we... You know, we, we have things we enjoy, and then there's things we have to do, like taxes and things like that. And we just kind of live. 
And as long as the rest of the world doesn't kind of intrude upon us, we're okay with it. You know, but, you know, if I start seeing things that actually affect me, then I start thinking and I start caring. Well, that may be a very safe way to live. You may be very safe and you may be able to live your life that way and get your 80, 90, 100 years in and die. And you'll be fine. Never know anything else. But not all of us are going to be so lucky. I'm not even sure that you're really that lucky if you can live in a bubble for your whole life and not really know what's happening in our world. That we see where our world is going. That we understand some of the influences that are coming into our world that's actually threatening our world, tearing our world apart, and eventually it's going to come to you. Eventually, it's going to come to Hawaii if it's not already here. Eventually, you're going to notice that it's already affecting your communities and it's already affecting your families. It's already affecting your lives. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because Easter, understanding of Easter, understanding of Resurrection Sunday, says no to two of those major forces that we find influence in our world today. One of those things is this belief that this world is all that there is. There is only this natural world. There is nothing beyond this. You, you are made up of materials in this world, and after you've borrowed those materials for your lifespan, you're going to give them back to the world. You're going to give them back to nature. This is all there is. There's, there's, no, there's no other world. There's no afterlife. There's nothing. There's only this. And that view, that view has set our world, and it's not new, by the way. It's at least... You know, as a major force, it's at least, you know, 150, 200 years old, and it's probably older. But as a major influence, it's driving our world to, a, to, this, to this point where, where, we, where we think this is all there is. And if this is all there is, then there's really no purpose. There's no meaning. The only purpose or meaning are, is, is whatever we decide to give it. Oh, we can decide, I'm going to give meaning to being a parent. I'm going to give meaning to doing my job or my career. I'm going to give meaning by saying, I help other people. But that's you saying, I'm giving it meaning. You're not thinking that there's some absolute meaning to life. In fact, that used to be a vexing question. People would say, what is the purpose of life? And the resounding answer now, the world says, is there is no purpose unless you decide to give it one. It's a problem. There's another view. Another view that is, that is affecting our world today. These, again, these aren't new. They're not new. They're just, I think, more prominent. I just think they're more out there. I think they're more influential on a popular 
a major level. And the second view is that there's not really any right or wrong. Right or wrong is just kind of depends on your culture, your society. It depends on you. You can decide what's right and wrong. So there's no meaning, there's no purpose, and there's no right or wrong. Major influences, major influences. And you might think like, ah, you know, that's not me, I believe in right or wrong. I can almost guarantee you that if we talk long enough, if we talk long enough, most of you will eventually come to the conclusion that you do not really believe in right or wrong. You only believe in what you think is right and what you think is wrong. But you don't really believe that, that there's some, this absolute truth, this absolute right or wrong. Let me tell you something. Resurrection Sunday, Easter, stands in this world that says this is all there is, there is no absolute truth, there's no right or wrong, and it says, no, there is. The resurrection is saying there is something beyond this world. It is not just this world. Resurrected Lord, Jesus our Lord, is saying there is a standard. There is absolute truth. There is something that is right or wrong. It's not just us making it up as we go. It's not a vague idea. It's, it's not some general sense of God. But it's a very specific person and a very specific event who gave us very clear teachings and very clear instructions. But don't get me wrong. Easter doesn't just say no to this world. It doesn't just say no to these two views. It also says yes. Because if you are a thinker, if you are a thinker, and you believe that this world is all that there is, and you believe that, that we're just the result of a cosmic accident, and someday our sun is gonna go supernova, and everything we know is gonna cease to exist. If that's what you think, and you're a thinker, and if you think there is no absolute, there is no absolute truth, there is no God, if that's what you think, if you really think it, and you really understand it, you know you are hanging by a thread from just giving up. Because why care? Why force yourself to care? Why sacrifice? Why give? Why love? Why do anything other than make yourself feel good, have fun, and when you've run out of ideas for fun, ah, let's just check out. Seek after personal happiness. Go from relationship to relationship to relationship. It doesn't matter whether it's men, women, whatever. It doesn't matter if there's one or there's 12. It doesn't matter as long as you are fulfilled and you feel happy. Just keep chasing after it. But you realize that's razor thin. 
And you realize at some point in time, you're not going to be able to keep it up. And there's no hope. With Easter, with Christianity, what the resurrection says is, there is hope. There is more. There is truth that's not based on me manufacturing truth but a God who created us and loved us so much that he handed us this truth. There's more. And I know what's going on in our world today. I know the younger the generation, the more we have become disenfranchised with church as an institution. We can't even get Christian young people to come to worship services anymore. Because they've just decided they, they, they know better. They got it. I know. And I want to apologize to you. I want to apologize on behalf of my generation. I don't know what generation I'm in. I'm kind of in between a Gen Xer and a baby boomer. So I'm a baby Xer. I don't know. <laughs> but I want to apologize. I think the older generations, we owe an apology because we let the church become an institution. And we stopped letting the church be a vibrant, living community. So alive with the love of God and the love of Jesus that people cannot resist it. That they're drawn to it. We became so much more about buildings and songs and, and, and preaching and all this other stuff that we forgot that we are fundamentally a community of people so in love with Jesus that he makes us so in love with each other. We need that. That's what the resurrection is about. There is hope. There is God who created, and even though we rejected him, he says, I love them so much, I will make them another way. I will give them another way to come back. And he does. He gives us a way to live. We're not blind, stumbling in the darkness, trying to find meaning. That's what the other views propose. Oh, they'll come up with some kind of construct but to hold on to their construct, you, you eventually have to deny. You have to deny your fundamental belief that there are no absolutes. If you truly believe there's no absolutes, the best you can be is a blind person stumbling in the darkness, trying to find our way. The resurrection tells us the light of the world wants to show you the way. You see, we live in this world that so desperately needs the resurrected Lord. So desperately needs the one who can save. But understand, he's the resurrected Lord. You see, we like Christmas because Jesus is a baby. And babies are pretty harmless. Oh, they have projectile vomiting, and, you know, they can do other things, but pretty harmless. And as long as I can keep Jesus as a baby, he's pretty harmless. And even Jesus on the cross, 
He's pretty harmless. He's on the cross, but he ain't going anywhere. He's going to die. But a resurrected Lord is different. You see, a lot of Americans who identify themselves as a Christian, and as Eric has reminded us when he's been teaching on worldviews, that most people's understanding... Most Christians' understanding of who God is is that he's an undemanding God. He never asks anything of you. That doesn't sound like a Lord. Jesus is Lord. We don't like the word Lord because Lord sounds like he's, he's mean, he's bossy. But we have to understand this is the Lord who loves us. This is the Lord who calls us his friends. Anything he tells us to do is, is not to serve him, but it's to help us. The greatest commandment the Bible tells us is that, that Jesus repeats is that is to love God and to love each other. See, the world thinks it can leave behind God. The world thinks that these kind of things that we're doing here are, you know, that's for the superstitious, that's for the primitives, that's for the ignorant. The more sophisticated people, if we come to these things, we come to these things because it's cultural, it's traditional, or we just take the meaning we want from, but we really don't believe it. That's what the world is saying. And the world is saying we're going to be better off when we leave behind these superstitions. But as we're going to read today, when we leave behind these superstitions, we leave behind the one who holds all things together. We're going to read scripture that comes from a letter that Paul wrote. And Paul wrote this letter while he's in prison, which is just amazing to me. You know, if I'm in prison, if I'm writing letters, my letters are going to be like, get me out, you know, send me stuff. But no, he's writing letters to help Christians, to encourage them, help these churches. And, and there was this one city, it's called Colossae. And the church in that city had some problems, and their problems weren't that unusual. Um, a lot of the other churches had problems in their cities, where they, they knew the truth about the gospel, they were following Jesus, but they had so many other things that they had heard and they believed beforehand, and they weren't, they weren't sure which ones they could hold on to and which ones they could let go of. And so Paul writes them this letter from prison, and he doesn't tell them specifically which ones to hold on to, which ones to let go of, but what he does say is he emphasizes who Jesus is. And so in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, he says, he says, he, and he's talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What is, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, if you're trying to sort out what part of your past life and your culture you can hold on to, 
and what parts you need to let go of because you're a Christian. He says you begin here. You begin with understanding Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He's not first. He's not central. He's not foundational. He's in and through everything. Now go sort through it. Because when you do, you're going to find there's a lot of things about your culture that are cool, and you can keep them, and they're fine. But there are other things you got to let go of. That's what he's saying. He's saying he's the Lord of all. He's, he's, he, he's through him all things were created. Nothing is outside his control. It doesn't mean that that Jesus, the Son of God, causes everything to happen. But nothing surprises him. If Jesus was kind of coming to our church in a physical sense, and we all thought we're going to throw him a surprise birthday party, you know what he would say when he came in? I knew you guys were going to do this. Nothing surprises him. Nothing's beyond his control. Even if he's not causing these things, he is Lord of all. Well, we read a little bit more, and it says, he is the head of the body, the church. Paul often calls the church the body, the body of Christ. And when he's talking about the church, he's not talking about some big universal type church. He's talking about local churches like this. And he says, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So the second thing that we see here is that Jesus is the head of the church. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that that we are his disciples, which means we're his students. We, We follow. We talked about this in our Sunday school class. We learn from him and we follow him. We go where he leads. He teaches us as we go. Now you go, well, how does that happen? Does Jesus kind of appear, or do you guys kind of have a Jesus sensor on your phone and you can follow him? Is that how it works? Well, it actually works primarily because we have his word. We have the Bible. We want to know what the Bible says. We want to understand it. And we're going to follow but it's more than that because in reading the Bible, we also read that, that when we're believers in Christ, that we have his spirit. And so we not only have the word, we, we can consult God and, and ask him through his spirit to somehow help us know what to do. You see, when we truly are the church where Jesus is the head, we f- live in a different way. We live as one body. We live as a community bound by his love, bound by his word. You see, a lot of people want to divide those two things. They're okay with one or the other. Oh, we'll deal just with God's love. And we only want to do God's love. So we want to be a community on God's love. But what they mean by that is, is that we just want to have this good feeling about each other and this good feeling about God, but we don't want God to ever tell us what to do other than just generally, vaguely, 
love one another. And there's a lot of people, as, as we said, the undemanding God, that's him. There's a lot of people who just want the love side. There's other people, they just want the word side. Just, hey, tell me what to do. Give me the rules, give me the steps, give me the rituals, check, 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 check. Good, I'm awesome. I wouldn't say either or. We need his word, we need his love. We need the knowledge, we need the heart. We need to not just simply understand intellectually that we're one body in Christ, we actually need to be one body in Christ. And depending on what you feel comfortable with or what you're good at, people tend to drift one way or the other. Some people don't even come to church anymore because they go, I got it. Christianity is just about loving God and loving each other. I can do that without going to church. And that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that if we're really loving God and loving others, that one of the primary places we're going to do that is right here in the church. And as we've been talking about here, when the church lives as God intends, the world sees how God has always intended us to live. You see, the church is supposed to be a picture, an example of, of how God intended humanity to live. And I've already apologized because we fall so short of it. I've already apologized that, that we don't do a good job of, of reflecting this. And I wish I could say that if you have, are not part of church, you come to Wiley Baptist Church, you will find a perfect community of people in love with God and love with each other. I wish I could say that, but I would be lying to you. I'll tell you what you will find here. You will find a community of people, imperfect people, an imperfect community that is at least trying. We're trying. We're trying to be the community. We're not satisfied with just showing up on Sundays and sitting shoulder to shoulder and looking this way. We're trying to look at each other more. We're trying to care about one another more. We're trying to get to know one another more. We're trying to build the kind of community that demonstrates the incredible, powerful love of God. We're trying. Just invite you, if you hear this, that you would come and try with us. And the last part of this says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, heaven, or whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
The last point is that Jesus is the Lord who makes all things right. He's the Lord that makes all things right. You see, when the church is really the church, and when it's really a community, it's not a community of everybody who's the same. If the church is really representing the kingdom, then the only thing we have in common is we have faith in Jesus Christ, and we've been made new by his spirit. Everything else is different. Male, female, different ethnicities, different levels of education, and different abilities, different gifts. It's all different. And God brings together all that difference and he unites it. That's what Jesus does. He reconciles. Reconciles. He makes things that, that are broken and he, and he reconciles them. He repairs relationships he holds all things together. He makes all things right. He helps us that as we become reconciled to God, those broken relationships we have with our, with our, with our parents or with a spouse or, or with a, a child or with a friend or whoever it is, he, he continues to help us make those relationships right too. He wants to reconcile all things. He sets us back on that path of where we, what we were created to be. This is Jesus, the Lord who makes all things right. You know, and I, I talk about the, the things of all things right, and, and you should think about it. It does mean all things right. It does mean all of creation. You also should think that it means our society and our culture. And you should also should think that it means the community. But you should also think that when he wants to make all things right, he wants to make your family right. And he wants to make the conflict inside of you right too. I often talk about society and I often talk about the world. I talk about Christianity on that scale because so much time we only talk about how Christ affects us as individuals. But I want to flip that this morning and let you know that Jesus doesn't just provide hope for the whole world. He wants to provide hope for you right now in your situation. He doesn't want to just bring reconciliation for the nations. He wants to bring reconciliation in your home. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just want to bring peace and, and forgiveness and salvation for all. He wants to do it for you. This is Jesus. He holds all things together. All things. By his power, by his spirit, and by his love. And everything begins for us. Everything begins for us when we, when we confess that Jesus is Lord of all and that Jesus is Lord of my life.